Remember, our main text is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, where it reads in the New King James Version, but reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. So we've been explaining what that means, that we can actually exercise or train ourselves towards godliness. The New Living Translation says, don't waste your time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. So we were saying we can train ourselves in spiritual things. We can learn how to operate in spiritual things. In all areas of training, whether it's natural training to be a doctor or huba, a, uh, a, an engineer, or you go to other areas where people are trained to operate as Satanists or whatever, there's always a program they put them through. There's always training that's there. In other words, you can learn these things. They are not a secret. But you must be committed. So I've never understood why in the church we don't take people through practical training on godliness. Training on how to be used by God and how to operate in the things of God. I've often said one of the major influences that made me choose to go to Rema, even if I've studied from other places as well, was that when I looked at the curriculum there, in the curriculum they had subjects that were applicable to what I should do. For instance, there's a course we do on demons and you know, you know how demons operate, but there's a place where they teach us how to cast out demons. And can I take in chairs? And we talk about the anointing, you know? It's not enough for you to say the anointing to me. I want to know what's the anointing. How do I know the anointing? How do I yield to the anointing? How am I used by the, how do I recognize? It's not enough for you to tell me I must listen to the voice of God. How do I know the voice of God? How do I identify the voice of God? Because if we don't do that, then we will be, we'll be Christians who are academic Christians. We will be people who are Christians by Lohuri. They, they are not practical. Christianity is practical. Are you understanding what I'm saying? And because we can learn, it means whatever level you are at, you can be better. Do you understand me? So it means none of you is left out. None of you. No matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how young you are, how old you are, male or female, what color of skin, it doesn't matter what your, what your uh, financial background is, your educational background, you can learn. You can learn how to be a better preacher, a stronger preacher, a more anointed preacher. You can learn how to start a church, lead a church. These things are not, they're not a theory. You can learn how to, to be used in the gifts of the Spirit, for instance. I'm going to teach on that one day. But you can learn how to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, you see. And, and I really felt a few years ago, the Lord really challenging me on these things. That why is it in the church we don't teach people practically how to? And this is what this week is about. Amen. Amen. And Paul tells Timothy, train yourself in godliness. And so we've learned, when we started, we learned, number one, about training ourselves to follow the Holy Spirit. We, we, we saw how the Holy Spirit works and who the Holy Spirit is and how we can follow him, that the Holy Spirit is like, in inverted commas, like our tour guide. 
If we listen to him, he will help us. He's like the navigator. He will help us to recalculate, show us the way. But how do you know that? We've explained that. And then we, we also then talked about the six signals that will help us know that we are led by the Spirit. We said if these signals line up, because God will always confirm through two or three witnesses, right? So if two or three of these things line up, then you know that God is leading you in that direction. I'm not going to go that way because I have a long way to go tonight. Tonight, I want to talk about training yourself in taking up your mental. Training up yourself in taking up, and I said taking up, I'm saying owning it. Taking what rightfully belongs to you. Many of God's people never participate in what God says rightfully belongs to them. Many watch as spectators. They look at others that God is using and there's nothing wrong in you admiring us, but we are not any special other than being called. Other than being called. But like I said the other day, we only have the gift to pastor, the gift to be apostle, the gift to be prophets, but we don't have the gift to be a Christian. We have to live the Christian life like everybody. So I want to show you tonight how to take up your mental. And I want to use 1 Kings 19, which many of you know, as our main text. And as I say, I want to delve into it. So tonight, I may spend a lot of time in teaching, all right? I hope you don't mind, because tomorrow, I'm going to uh, add on this and take us to another level. It says, so Elijah went from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. Underline the word found. Found. Found, underline it. He was plowing, underline plowing, with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw, underline the word threw, threw his cloak or mantle around him. Elisha then left his oxen, ran after Elijah, know that, and said to him, let me kiss my mother and my father goodbye, then I'll come with you. Elijah replied, go back. What have I done to you? Sure. So Elijah left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen, slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat, gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and he became his attendant. May the Lord open the eyes of our understanding tonight. Amen. Just a brief history on the book of Kings, 1 Kings and 2 Kings. It records the history of the children of Israel from the time of Solomon, right through to the division of the kingdom, you know that in 722, there was the fall of the northern kingdom, which fell under Assyrian captivity, and then the fall of the southern kingdom in 586 BC, that came with the Babylonian captivity. At this time, the kingdom of Israel was divided then into the southern kingdom, which was called Judah, and it consisted of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And then it had the northern kingdom of Israel, which consisted of the remaining ten tribes. During this time, when you read the book of Kings, there were good kings who reigned, but these good kings came mostly from the southern kingdom, from the Judah and Benjamin area. And when these kings reigned, 
In their times, they brought spiritual revival and powerful reforms. And when people who rule are godly and they follow godly standards, the nation will always be blessed. But then on the other hand, the northern kingdom, the kings, they were evil. And there was really no revival. And this is exactly where God took Elijah and Elijah and placed them there to serve. See, when things are going wrong, God doesn't put his hands on his head and say, what are we going to do? God's way of resolving that problem is to raise somebody. To raise somebody who is unexpected and to give them a mission that they themselves may look at and feel they will not be able to fulfill. So God sends Elijah and Elisha to the northern kingdom where the kings are evil and there's no revival. All the kings of the northern kingdom of Israel, the Bible tells us they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And it is in the midst of this degenerate and idolatrous kingdom where they ruled by vicious, cruel means. All these degenerate kings, God calls two men. One to lead, the other to be his successor. These two prophets stand up in a time of evil to be the heralds of God and the proclaimers of the way of God. They stand up to be leaders at this time. We are told when we read at the time of Elijah, who was leading as a prophet, there was also leaders who were there in the schools of prophets. And these schools of prophets were both in the northern and the southern kingdom. So we find Elijah there in verse 19. He's now moving out of that time of discouragement that we read about when he hid in a cave. A time of loneliness, discouragement, because sometimes, you know, when you are standing for the truth, you'll think you are all alone. Sometimes when there's a lot of evil around, you will make the assumption that everybody is like that. And so he's coming out of that time where God is taking him out of his loneliness. And the Lord revitalizes him, restores him to his ministry, gives him spiritual insight, and he receives a fresh mandate from the angel of the Lord. So God restores to this servant a new understanding about the way he works, about how he operates, that you're not the only one. There are other people of God. They are there in hiding. And that's why you must never go with the mentality that everybody is doing it. It's not everybody who is doing it. There are some people who are not doing it. And so we find Elijah in that situation. And so God restores to him this new understanding, this new way of the works of God. And so then he leaves the mountain, and this is where we pick up our text, and the Bible says he found Elisha. Somebody say found Elisha. And the Bible tells us when he finds Elisha, he finds this man plowing. He is plowing with 12 pairs of oxen before him and he with the 12. This seems to indicate that Elisha seemingly belonged to a family of considerable wealth. And so when he is coming here to be called into the ministry of the prophet, he would have to obey the prophetic call and it means it would go with a lot of personal loss. Yeah. 
Oftentimes when God calls to use you, there are certain things that you have to turn your back on and forsake. Because anytime God raises anybody, it's going to cost you something. I'm not talking about death. I'm not talking about God killing anybody. But it's going to cost you something. So it meant this guy is going to be a prophet. And it was going to come at a considerable personal loss, financially speaking. Means he would have to count the cost. If you're going to take up your mantle, you must be prepared to count the cost. Can I hear an amen here in the house? It meant counting his financial security as loss, becoming a soldier of the Lord in the trenches of tremendous spiritual conflict. This guy who is only plowing, who's not involved in any form of conflict, the minute he says yes to taking the mantle, he resigns the group of those who have no conflict in their lives and he joins the ranks of those whose lives will be characterized by conflict. And conflict because they have a mandate from God. Conflict because they have a mantle upon their lives. Conflict because they choose to be different in a time when everything that surrounds them is preaching something that is different. And Elisha, therefore, has to do that. And in verse 20 and 21, he responds, showing that he's a man of faith who was willing to embrace all of that. It means this guy has developed a certain level of value and priority. You see, if God is going to use us, there comes a time where our values and our priorities must be different. This guy has developed an eternal perspective. Something has captured his heart. Like we see God capturing the heart, Yama 2000. Something has captured his heart. And when God begins to take your heart and capture your heart, you don't ask other people. You start responding on your own. When God has captured your heart, don't be surprised when other people respond to you in a flat way and they are not excited. Marawana, you have been taken by something that brings excitement in your life. And so Elijah has developed these biblical values. He has this eternal perspective. His heart is taken over. And his life from now onwards is going to be controlled by this mission and this mandate. As a result, he acts in faith. He follows God's call. He's willing to be uprooted from his quiet, peaceful, rural life and from his financial security <laughs> to follow the Lord. But he's doing this because he understands that the nation needs the word of the Lord. Our nation needs you, needs me. Your family needs you. Your street needs you. Your community needs you. They've got to see somebody who is different. They've got to see somebody who is living for the Lord. Can I hear an amen? So he knew. He knew that his nation needed the word of the Lord. Just like the sons of Issachar, we read about in 1 Chronicles 12. He understood the times. He understood the seasons. And if I may say, this is the time. This is the season. But it's important to note that Elisha was at a specific place when he was found. Though he belonged to a prominent family, 
He was at work in the field with the rest of the other people who worked for his family. Which means, even though he was wealthy, he was not irresponsible or lazy. Even though he was from a wealthy family, he didn't make him a leader. But it simply demonstrates that he developed a certain kind of character in leadership. You see, it is people who are willing to work, get their hands dirty. People who are willing to be involved, who are not position mongers, who are not position minded, who are not fame minded, that God is going to use for his kingdom. So this hard work built his character. Not only did he build his character, it gave him a testimony to those around him. It's interesting to note how many great men of God in the Bible were called by God into a special ministry, but they had already developed the ability and the willingness to work where they showed faithfulness. Moses pastored the flock of his father, his father-in-law Jethro. David was tending the sheep of his father. Peter was a fisherman. Paul had a trade-making tent. Our Lord Jesus Christ was a carpenter by trade who was trained by Joseph. And this tells us that when we are spiritual people and anointed people, it doesn't mean we are crafted away from everyday normal life. It doesn't mean we are people who are hidden away from everybody who have no culture of working, no culture of discipline. But it means we are normal, regular people who know what hard work is, who will get down in the trenches, but we are also open to the word of God and to the heart of God. And that's the kind of person that God uses. And the Bible tells us in verse 19, when Elijah passed over him, Elijah rather threw his mantle on him. Very interesting. Now notice this. There are three things that are important that I want you to note. Number one, this mantle that is being talked about, was the official garment of a prophet, all right? There were three types of garments or mantles that were worn in Bible times. The one that's been referred to here is the Adareth mantle. If you want to spell it, it's A-D-D-E-R-E-T, Adareth, Adareth mantle. This Adareth mantle was a cloak that could be made from animal hair, and it was always a garment of distinction, worn by kings and especially by prophets. You can find that in 2 Kings 2, in Zechariah 13, and some of the other scriptures. Now note, the mantle, the minute it was put on you, it automatically marked you, a man, as a prophet and as a spokesman of God. And this mantle was a big symbol. It was a symbol of sacrifice and commitment. Once that mantle came on you, it was known that God is calling you to a life of commitment, to a life of sacrifice. Because in these days, the lives of the prophets were not lives of luxury. The mantle, when it was put on you, it meant God is calling you and you have to count the cost. It represented, this mantle represents a man's gift, the call of God, and the purpose for which you are called. Write it down, that mantle. It represents the man's gift, the call of God, and the purpose 
for which God has called him. Here's the second thing I wanted to note. Throwing this mantle over the shoulders of Elisha. Note, it's thrown over the shoulders. Shoulders are symbolic. So when it's thrown over the shoulders of Elisha, it's a symbolic act denoting he is being summoned. God is calling you. And he has been called to the office of a prophet. But it also is a sure sign that because the shoulders speak of authority and power, that God's gift is the one that comes upon you to enable you and empower you in your office as a prophet. So this act by Elijah was a prophetic announcement that the gift of prophecy and the office of a prophet is coming upon Elisha. So it was immediately understood by Elisha without words being spoken. When that act was done, he understood. And this is why when he understood, it dictated what he does from then. Remember, when God calls you and when God points his finger in your direction, when God begins to work in your heart, you need to learn to obey. Can I hear an amen? Can I hear an amen? Can I hear an amen? In the Bible, we also read that we also are called by God. And God puts mantles on us. It may not be as spectacular as that of Elisha. But God calls us with gifts, abilities, assignments, and anointings. And everyone in this room, nobody is an exception. Each one of you, God has an assignment for you. I didn't say you must be a pastor. I didn't say you must be a prophet. But there is something that is brewing in your heart. That is a call that comes from heaven above. And it's a mantle that God wants you to embrace. And so, God gives us assignments. He gives us divine callings. God gives us a mission. Our calling, our assignment might not be spectacular as that of Elisha. Nor may we necessarily be called to be prophets. Tell your neighbor, eh, eh. Bishop Aromo Prophet, Before the Kalale Prophet, Prophet, Just tell them, I'm Prophet, Prophet. Even though we may not necessarily be called in a spectacular way or to be prophets like Elijah, Romans 12 tells us, reading from verse 5 in the NIV, so in Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Now note verse 6. We have different gifts According to the grace given to us. Ah. You have a gift that has come by the grace of God. In other words, you don't have to work for it. You don't have to fast for it. You don't have it because you are better than anybody else. We have gifts that have come. By the grace of God. And then it starts talking about those gifts. 
He says, if a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If a man's gift is serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If he's showing mercy, let him do it. Can I hear an amen? amen? The New Living Translation in verse 6 says, In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Tell your neighbor, I'm so glad I'm not like you. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Note, Pazalan, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So in other words, Pazalan, if you operate in your gifting, sweet spot. If you operate in your gifting, you are in the sweet spot of your life. What does it mean? Well, you don't have to teach a bird how to fly. A bird flies. It was born to fly. It was meant to fly. You don't have to teach a fish how to swim. And if you take a fish and put it in water, you are putting it in its, in its environment of sweet spot. It's a swimmer. It's a julugi. Because it, it's, it, it's, it's an effortless thing. Mara, we as human beings, we have to learn how to swim. A fish or a swimmer from day one, yeah, swimmer. Because it's in the sweet spot. What I'm trying to say to you is there's areas in your life, child of God, where it is your sweet spot. Can I put it in another way? In that area, you are second to none. Yeah. It's your mental, it's your gifting, it's your anointing, it's your calling. That's why we don't need to compete, Bazalon. Because even the giftings, even the giftings, even if it's the same category, they are not the same. They are not the same. You can have people preach, but we don't preach in the same way. You have your own mark. You have your own uniqueness. Can, can I hear an amen? You, 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 you have your own trend when only one. You have your own style. Look at your neighbor saying, let's style a sack. Let's style a sack. I can tell you why I keep so good. I can tell you why I keep so good. Let's style a sack. So it says, so if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. What does it mean? It means you have to use your gift, use your faith in it, push yourself as far as your faith can take you. There are certain things in your gifting you can't do at a certain point. But as you grow, you can do more. Now, you may not all understand what I'm saying, but some of you, you'll understand what I'm saying. And them who have an ear to hear, let them hear. He says, so if you have been given the ability to prophesy, speak. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. There are people who are given the gift to teach. They just have the ability to explain things. And to, to, to help you love the subject matter. You know, I know when I went to school, some teachers, I never enjoyed their subject. <laughs> never. And Runa in our day is the days when they used to use corporal punishment. So if you don't, if you don't remember what the teacher says, they beat you up. And it was, it was always interesting. The teachers who like to beat people up, 
They were the worst teachers ever. They were the less gifted teachers. Yeah, so they have to compensate. You see, they have to compensate for their lack of talent. You see, you see, you see if, if you are not in your sweet spot, you have to work hard to convince the rest of us. Are you understanding what I'm saying? In fact, let, let me even go further. Let me even go further. When you are in your sweet spot, you don't have to tell us what you are gifted in. We will tell you. We will tell you. Yeah. Yeah. As you go around, there's no tree that comes out in the street and say, I'm a peach tree. I'm a peach tree. I'm a peach tree. No. There's no tree that does that. It's you who says peach tree. Because you see it giving us peaches. Yeah. So there's many people who are first alarm. They call themselves peach trees. Or the lemon. And about first alarm. You will never be a peach tree. You will remain a lemon tree. Come on now. Come on now. All right. And then it says... If your gift is serving, serve well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. I like this one. If God has given you leadership ability, some of you God's given you leadership ability. You are leaders. You, are, you have leadership qualities. So I don't understand why you are not leading in your community. Right? They choose you, you don't want to give leadership. You don't want to give leadership. And things are out of sync. There's a lot of confusion where it is. When you are there, God placed you there for a reason. Some of you, you are leaders in your family. You may be young in your family, but everybody depends on you. Yes. You you lead your, you, you, you can lead your parents. You can lead your elders with respect, of course. They're not coming to you because, of, no, they're coming to you because they see the pictures on you. And they ascribe to you. Are, are you understanding what I'm trying to say? So everybody, there's nobody left out here. You know, as I look around, I wonder how many of you really know what you're good at. I wonder if some of you, you know, you really don't know what you have. You don't know. I mean, this verse talks about serving. There are people who, who know how to serve. There are people who don't know how to serve other people. There are people who, who serve. They, they serve. They Theirs is to help the leader perform their job better. You, you may never even know their name. Yeah. We have 550,000. Don't think the president was sitting up and writing that speech. No. Somebody wrote it for them. Most of them, they only meet the speech on the day when they make it. But there's somebody who knows how the president thinks, takes into account their philosophy, their vision, and they write for them. They know how they speak. They write in the language they use. They are gifted with that. You'll never know their name. The president doesn't say this speech was written. No, Wangolar, no. Me. Our vision. But it's amazing in church how there are people who, even when they serve at that point, they don't understand that's the area of gifting and calling. Are you there, Barcelona? 
Our giftings and callings might not be spectacular like that of Elisha. But as children of God, we are representatives of God and we are called to represent God with the mental God has placed on us. In 1 Peter chapter 4, if you want to open that quickly, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 to verse 11 in the NIV area, each one of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. Many people are not faithful with the gift God has given them. They're not faithful. If they serve, they don't do it with all their hearts. They're not faithful in it. Note verse 11. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. Talking about the preachers. Be faithful in your preaching. Be faithful as a preacher. Prepare your sermon. Pray. Do research. Everything. When you come and speak, should be like God is speaking. Yeah. Or speak what comes from the heart of God. Do your best. Of course, we're human. Sometimes rabbis, give yourself. It's a powerful space. The pulpit is a place of life change. It is from pulpits that destinies are affected. That eternities are affected. It is from the pulpit. So he says, if you are speaking, if you are speaking, and fluff. That's the one thing we trained our people when when we first started the church. You know, there are people who are talking about the announcement. Just leave your testimony. You must give the announcements. You know? Some of us will come from those backgrounds where before before anybody does anything, they want to divert into something else. Or before Babu Barbasara could have a cabina pina in a Amen. 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 And they do that for 10 minutes. I taught our musicians, I told them, A little molotobina. Even if we want to have a real last night, even if Gabriel visited you, it's got nothing to do with us. Just sing when. When we started, I used to have a lot of, back then when our church started, I used to have a lot of. A conflict with musicians because some of them are not used to that. I said, Arabata Samon, get the kick, someone at the camera. Be now. Look at the neighbor and say, Be now. Yeah, do your part. Note, if anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. Note what it says. So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. So all of this Barcelona, these gifts, they operate in the workplace, they operate at home, they operate at church, they operate in the neighborhood, they operate in the country. Every one of us carries a gift, a mantle, an anointing, an assignment. And that's what God has given to us. Watch this, Barcelona, very important. When God has given you a gift... When God has called you, God expects you to be faithful over it. And when we go to heaven, God is going to ask us what we did with those gifts. And here's the interesting thing. When God calls you by his grace, anoints you by his grace, he will always equip you. God will never call you into something he's not going to equip you for. 
When God created birds to fly, he didn't give them scales. He gave them wings. And when he made fish to swim, he gave them scales, not wings. So everybody is equipped for their task. So Elisha receives a mantle because it must enable him, it must equip him to fulfill his calling. Listen to the background of this. When Elisha was called, it was a dark time in the history of the nation. Things were bad. And God had to inject something new that's going to change things and turn things around. God had to enable this person to be able to penetrate the layer of darkness that was over the nation. Because we note that there were prophets of Baal that were running rampant. The name of God was being looked down upon. And God had to raise this radical man who will come in and minister with power and stop the things that are happening. You and I, we are God's answer to the problems that are there in the world. God is expecting your gift and your mental to intervene. It could be in a family that has gone off course. God has raised you as a young person to be the first one who will begin to give a, a new different direction and a different course. It could be in a, in a community where people don't know anything about God and they play around with God, that you'll be the first one who gets saved and tell others about God and show them how to live for God. Can I have an amen in the house? Amen. Now, here's what is interesting. This garment and this cloak that was put on Elisha, made out of animal hair, distinctly worn by kings and prophets, was a loose garment. It had a lot of room for you to move. So when Elijah threw this mantle on the shoulders of Elijah, which symbolized the transfer of authority and power, it meant when you function in your area of calling, you will have room to move. This is why when you operate in your area of calling, you will succeed where others fail. And they will not understand why you succeed and they will be shocked that there's nothing more special about you. But what they don't understand is that there's a mantle upon your life. Amen. Can I hear an amen? amen? Can I hear an amen? amen? So this mantle speaks of God's divine enablement. God's calling. The giftings, abilities, divine enablement. Room to move. When the mantle comes upon your life, you have room to move. Room to grow. Room to succeed. Room to change things. Room to mobilize. Room to prosper. It means when this mantle is on your life, anything that seeks to restrict you cannot hold you back because the grace of God is upon you to make you succeed. You have enough grace to fulfill God's vision. Even if God sends you to dangerous tasks, difficult assignments, even if God sends you to a people whose hearts are hardened, they will not know why they say yes to you and no to another. They will never understand why, even if they don't understand what you're talking about, they still want to follow. They still want to do what you said because I see something in your life in the name of Jesus. And you'll have room to move. Can I hear an amen? Now you'll understand what the Bible is talking about. Now, 
In order for us to bear the mantle, we need to make certain choices. Because like I said, the mantle demands certain things from us. And I don't want to read this story in full. I want to quote it, but you can read it at home. I'll just read two verses. A young man by the name of Josiah. 2 Kings 22 verse 1. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. He reigned 30 years and one year in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jedida, the daughter of Adaiha of Boscath. Hey, it's hard, these names. <laughs> verse 2. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of his father David and turned not aside to the right hand and to the left. Let's restate, Bazalon. As we said that this book of Kings chronicles these different kingdoms, a time of turbulence throughout Israel. The majority of kings that led, we said they took people astray. And verse 18 becomes a common saying when you read 2 Kings. 2 Kings 8.18, it says, such and such a king did evil in the sight of the Lord. That seems to be the operative word. Where you are in an era where evil is more common than good. You are in an era where people have normalized evil. You are in an era where when you do what's right, everybody is surprised at you. You are in an era where people bow makalla when you want to stay away from certain things. Because there are certain things that have been normalized. It was a time like that. Josiah, when you read, we note that he didn't come from a good family either. Or let's put it this way. He didn't come from an exemplary family either. His grandfather Manasseh practiced evil in 2 Kings chapter 2. His father Amnon continued in the evil practices. That's in 2 Kings chapter 21. And so Josiah, in spite of the background he came from, he responded to the touch of God because God can touch any of us. God can visit any of us. Josiah was one of those rare ones in that he decided to go against the grain and to swim against the current. Because you see, when the river is flowing this way and it's a strong, rushing river, all you need to do is to jump in the water and the river will take you in its direction. But the day you want to go in a different direction, you must know that it's going to be a battle all the way up. Because as you are swimming this way, you are meeting some of your friends who are going that way and they are asking you a lot of questions. And realize, when you are going downstream, you don't even have to apply effort. You just have to sit in the river. The river will carry you on its own. But when you are going upstream, because you are going against what is normal, you're going to have to work hard. Listen, Barcelona. Living for God involves working hard. Living for God needs you have to be willing to do things that others are not willing to do. Am, am I preaching to dead people tonight or what? You have to decide. You're going to apply yourself. You're going to have to decide that. So Josiah becomes one of the rare ones. The Bible says he did what was right in the sight of God. Josiah, as a young man, had the courage to give leadership. Any one of us here, whatever your age, you can give leadership. He ascends the throne 
at the age of eight. In spite of the bad examples that he came from, where he witnessed idolatry, violence, deceit, covetousness, yet he intentionally chose to be different. And this is what the Bible says about him. Number one, he did what was right in the sight of God. Let's decide to do what is right in the sight of God. We're training ourselves in godliness. We're going to live out the life that is proper. We're going to live out for God. Number two, the Bible says, he walked in the ways of David, his father. Number four, it says, he did not turn aside. And number four, it says, Josiah then brought about change. Let's talk about those four things. What does it mean? Number one, when it says it, he did what was right in God's sight, it meant he gave himself self-leadership. Josiah decided to lead himself. He took responsibility for his life. We are living in a time where people want to blame everybody for their life. People want to blame all the other influences for their lives. They want to blame circumstances. People steal and they blame it on something else. People do what is wrong and they blame it on something else. But if we are going to be men and women who walk in the mantle that God has given us, it means we must have self-leadership. We must have self-leadership and integrity. If we are going to train ourselves in godliness, we need to lead ourselves. You know, it's easy to tell others what to do. It's easy to criticize what others are doing. But the most difficult person you've ever met is that person that you see in the room when you're in a room all by yourself looking in the mirror. That woman in the mirror, that man in the mirror, that's the most difficult person. I've told you that story and I'm going to tell you again. I get it in at least 60 years ago. When we were at Bible school, 1980, Central Bible College, you know, you know students, eh? Students are, get so obsessed with things and there was this guy always here now. He's blaming the devil for everything. Yeah. I mean, this guy used to be very violent and short-tempered and he would always blame the devil. And uh, we had uh, one of our body masters who looked after us, Mkulu, the father of the late Muruti uh, Mtsweni, Adam Mtsweni, who was called Tembisa, I think it was, yeah. And uh, so Mkulu just decided, I'm going to sort out this young man. So one day he said to him, and it's funny he believed him, he said, so I have an appointment later. On such and such a day, you must come to my house. So he believed him. You know, it was very strange. He believed him. So he goes to Mkulu's house and Mkulu also so and he takes him to his bedroom and sits him on this chair's circle bedroom looking at the mirror. And he, he, he says, and Mkulu stands to one side, he says, and this guy is looking. <laughs> he says, I am Mkulu and Mbonu Satan. But I go back to the house, I'm born with Satan. 
Hari mtu angemwona Yolana yime ati ehe. But we need to give self leadership. Amen? Amen. Number 2 it says he walked in David's ways. In other words, he lived a value based life. If we are going to be used by God as men and women who carry the mantle, we need to live lives based on biblical values. We need to live by conviction and not by preference. There are things we say no to. Not because it's convenient, but because it's the right thing. We must have conviction in our hearts. Number 3 it says he didn't turn aside from the word of the Lord. In other words, this man had focus. If I want to walk in the mantle of God, we must be people who have focus. We mustn't allow ourselves to be distracted by other agendas. We mustn't allow ourselves to be enticed by other things, but be focused people. And then number 4 as we close. We note that because of his self leadership because of his focus because of him living by conviction and not by preference he brought change not only to his family he brought change to the nation at large why because he took responsibility for the mantle that god has placed on his life the mental on your life is going to require of you to live in a certain way after elisha had followed elijah for a long time elijah amutsa arimar what do you want from me elisha said i want a double portion of your spirit Elijah said you have asked a hard thing. What does it mean? It's not easy to live an anointed life. You have to walk the road less traveled. You have to do that which is not convenient but that which is required by God. When you see people wake up early in the morning 4 o'clock 5 o'clock to pray when you don't feel like waking up to pray on days when it feels like the heavens are like brass when you have to wake up and come to church when it's raining when it's cold walk to church because you don't have money for the taxi get a lift from your friend because your car is stuck come to church even when the night before you didn't go to bed with food in your stomach when you go that far and you push that far then god looks at you and says that's the candidate that i can use for my plan the anointing is a hard thing when you decide to live a holy life You know I, I was so proud yesterday when when our young people and our children came to talk to me. I, I felt so proud 
And I, I don't think they know that there were two different groups because they came at different times. And I was looking at these kids and I thought to myself, you know what, God? They are making a choice. Not to go downstream. They are making a choice to go upstream. When others will be drunk with alcohol, Friday night, Runamona, are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Friday night. But it's a choice. Because when you decide to live like that, your friends tell you you are a fool. Can I talk to you, young people? Can I talk to you? You know, sometimes young people forget who really runa. We were once young. I wasn't born being this age, Pella. Many of us, we were 17 years old. 17 years old when I got born again. 18 years old when I got filled with the Spirit. 22 years old when I became a pastor. Don't think as a 17-year-old, we didn't have peer pressure. There's guys who told me who saw. Yeah, they told me. Even elderly people. You know, it's so funny sometimes. You would think elderly people would encourage you. You know, they don't mind if you have a religious spirit. But once you start taking God seriously, but Mosaska cannot too much. But how can I too much? That's what they used to tell me. It was worse 1979. When I got filled with the Holy Spirit and I said, I'm going to Bible school. My own brother family, when they heard, they visited my parents. They said, we hear the young man is going to Bible school. And my dad said, yes, he's going to Bible school. They said, why? <laughs> he's too young. He, we, know, we know he likes preaching, but he's taking this too far. Anybody has ever told you you're taking it too far? That's why you must give self-leadership. Because when you choose God's way, I can guarantee you, somewhere you're going to cross paths with certain people. Sometimes you will lose your favorite friend. Yeah. Yeah, you will you'll lose. I lost my friends. I lost my friends. You know those days they used to argue Bible. Ronaldo Pastor Dick, which was a difficult time where it was so politicized, the issue of Christianity. The politics at the time, they were saying it's a white man's religion. And the, 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 the political space in which we were of apartheid, it was a difficult time. And, and, and the government of the day was perpetrating oppression in the name of God. It was hard for some of us. They used to call me Uncle Tom. It's Uncle Tom. They used to call me Uncle Tom, my, my, my best friend. Said how? Solo Uncle Tom. I didn't even know what Uncle Tom was. Don't ask me what Uncle Tom was because I don't even know. I lost my best friend. But you know, let me tell you young people now. Ten years later, twenty years later, you will not regret having chosen God. Come on, if you believe that, give the Lord a big kind of praise. Give the Lord a big kind of praise. You will not regret having chosen God. Why? Because God will sustain you. 
God will keep you. Amen. And you know what I like about God? Is that in the things of God, you don't age. Amen. Now, we may age physically, in body, but in your spirit. I know it's not good English. It gets gooder and gooder. Let me close. I was saying to some, one young guy I was talking to some time ago, and I said, you know, what a blessing it is to know Christ in your youth. There's a song they used to sing for AFM, Bundis, Barikin, Ubushebogwazucheso, Ebushenebam. Do you know that song? It's a nice song, eh? Do you, do you know it? You want to sing it? Okay, after Eric Fetz, Mar Libinens Kelabuang. Libinen. I was telling this guy, I said, Mamelang, young people, please. You see, the things we do in our bodies over a period have effects. Huge effects. I'm telling you. Huge effects. Imagine now only 12 years. Yeah, that's what's happening today. Right? You drink all these strange things and then you live a rough life. You mean, I'm engaged in sex out of marriage. Changes an too. From this one to all to all to all. All these people just invade your privacy. Yeah? Yeah? Imagine that. Then you learn foul language. Right? You learn. And then you start smoking. And then, and then you go to all these parties. No, no, I'm just explaining how. <laughs> now, by, by the time you reach 20 years, you, you've had like eight years of that. Or let's say 22, you've had like 10 years of that, of all these things. You know the effects these things have? Here's a problem. As you grow, you get to a certain age in your 30s and your 40s where you are at the peak of your life. The problem with vision is that vision operates through a body. A physical body. Vision doesn't operate in one. Uh -uh. Uh -uh. Whatever gift, mental, God's given you, it needs to be housed in a physical body. Now, if for 10 years, this body, anything, no healthy eating, no exercising, no anything. Now, even if you get to that point where now you really want to be at your best, you find you have a body that doesn't cooperate anymore. Because in Alamatsadi, It's even worse when you get into your 30s, even worse when you are 40, even worse when you are 50. And so you see, here's this person who is at the prime of their life, 
where they can be used by God even more, Mara, they don't have a vehicle. Because you see, if you are, if you are a car, we will take you for a major service. Mara, the human body is of such a nature. But here's the grace of God. Here's the grace of God. And I've seen it. I'm being honest with you. We've seen people in our church. And, and I remember the one person that we, we know who was very famous in our country. This person, all his life on Natsuba, he used to smoke this guy, heavy smoker. He was not a member of our church, just in case you're thinking about They were not a member of our church. But this guy, in his later years, I think he must have been in his 50s or so, or 40s, he turned right around, you know, and became a Christian. Great man. I was such a great man. Unfortunately, he passed on because by the time he turned, you know, his liver and his lungs, he used to drink and smoke. His liver, his lungs were eaten out. Now, he's born again. He loves God. He wants to work, but the, the vehicle... That's why the Bible says your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So, I was so sad at his funeral because we had his funeral here at the church. And I was at the funeral. And I love this guy because he was, he was actually using his influence in certain places to really advance the gospel. But he didn't have long to do it. Just three years. Passed on. Nothing the doctors could do. Nothing the doctors could do. Because when someone is in that condition, the doctors tell you, oh, look, if his lungs were okay, he would live. Marlaraka Mosvisa Stata, Mosafa Saleh, what are we going to do? This is not what the cigarette companies tell us. This is not what the alcohol companies tell you. They don't tell you. We see this as leaders. We see this as pastors. But it wasn't just his passing. Imagine the pain left behind in his family. Imagine what God had him to do. He didn't have, he couldn't be able to fulfill it fully because of that. But tonight I believe we have Josiahs in the house. Tonight we have people who are going to take up their mantle. And so I want to pray for the following areas. All right. I'm going to ask people to as we call you out to stand, we want to pray for you where you are. And I want us to make that commitment. But before we do that, can we take some time in prayer? Would you like to just talk to God for a while? Just go ahead and pray right where you are. Talk to God about what you've heard tonight and what God has said tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.